Why don't you take out your Bibles with me? We're going to be in the book of Colossians today. We are in part six of our Purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians. In this year of purpose, in this year of doing stuff, this year of action. And sometimes when we're doing things right, it's difficult. As a matter of fact, Booker T. Washington said this, nothing ever comes to one that is worth having except as a result of hard work. Nothing ever comes to one, at least it's worth having, except by hard work. Great things are difficult to do. That's why most people don't do great things. However, my encouragement to you, and although I lean into challenge, that is my teaching style, I don't want to miss the encouragement of this morning. I need you to leave encouraged and I want you to hear what I'm about to say very clearly and allow the Holy Spirit to soak it into your soul. And that is this. Because of Jesus, we are great people. We are called to greatness by God. We were made to do great things and join him in great endeavors. You are not merely slugging through this life. You are not merely human. You are what the Bible calls partakers in the divine nature. You are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is not just you walking around. It is you and God within you that is carrying out the will of God on this planet. Therefore, there are things that are impossible for others to do. Yet with God, all things are possible. Therefore, what I don't want us to do is live in any type of victim mentality. We are overcomers. We are the victorious ones. Why? Because of us? No, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the strong ones. Ministry is simply partnering with Christ to do his work on earth and being obedient to the Holy Spirit's direction. If that's the case, we are all ministers. There is nothing in Scripture that speaks that only the paid leaders do the job. You understand what I'm saying? That is not Christianity. Christianity is the ministry of everyone. It's all of us are saints. All of us are gifted. All of us are talented. All of us are equipped. All of us are in the ministry. Every time you read in scripture where it talks about, and this was the ministry given to us, you may not have the office, but you certainly have the call. You may not have the full title, but you certainly have the stewardship to make sure That you are advancing the kingdom of God. But all of that is difficult and ministry causes us to suffer. If you avoid suffering, you will avoid ministry. If you avoid ministry, you will avoid learning your purpose and what your life is all about. You cannot dig into the depths of why we are here if you merely take the easy road all the time. We are surrounded by a culture that goes through the path of least resistance. Take the easy way out. If there's two ways, we would go the lighter route. That is why my respect is so high for anyone that does the difficult thing. If I see someone that says, I will put myself in sacrifice to make sure someone else is lifted up, I take my hat off to that person. It's why I have such an extraordinary respect for moms. Why? Because they tend to be so intensely sacrificial in what they do. Dads are sacrificial too, but they tend to be able to enter into an area of life that gets blessing to them, for them, and their family. Whereas a lot of times, stereotypically, Moms have a view where it primarily directs towards other people. Whenever anyone does that which is difficult, my respect level grows. I do not have a lot of respect for simply the easy route. Now, I will tell you that ministry is messy. Ministry is challenging. As a matter of fact, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is is this. Ministry is hard work. Ministry is hard work. But that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. 
sometimes it's nice to get together with other people to realize you're not insane. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Because all the time we tend to go, am I the only one that's freaking out here? Am I the only one that's challenged here? Is this, is everybody else having a hard time with this? Is marriage difficult for everybody? Is parenting difficult for everybody? Is trying to be a believer in today's world difficult for everybody? The answer is yeah, if you're doing it right. If you're doing it right, it is challenging. But you and I, as children of God, were built to do difficult things. It's almost like having... uh, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about the fact that, that... does anybody remember when motorcycles didn't have shock absorbers? Okay, well, some, some guys remember back in this. What they did is they started creating these shock absorbers that you could then go over bumps and it would cushion the blow. Understand that if you were built with these intense shock absorbers to be able to go off-road, but all you did was go on the easy straight lane, your vehicle is built for more. And I want you to know that if you're not facing difficulty or opposition or sacrifice or persecution for the kingdom of God, you're not fully utilizing your vehicle. Your vehicle can do a whole lot more than you think it can. And you're going to go, man, this is hard. And you go, yeah, of course it is. That's how it's supposed to be. But that's what you were built for. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. If you are new to the Bible, drop your Bible open in the middle and go super far to the right. It is one of those little baby books uh, towards the right there. If you hit Revelation, you went too far. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul the Apostle is talking to this young church about when you go out and you do stuff and it's difficult... There's a lot of suffering involved. And Paul the Apostle has a PhD in persecution. We're just going to bake in him for a little bit because as he begins to teach this church, you may ask yourself, what does he know about suffering? Ah, a lot. Pick it up in chapter 1, verse 24. Paul said, Now I rejoice. And the word rejoice means I feel awesome about something. Man, I'm excited about something. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, in my difficulties, my trials, my pains, my hurts, my persecution. I rejoice not just in general sufferings. I'm not rejoicing that life is difficult. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. Meaning there's a meaning to my pain. There is a value to my sacrifice. It's like the mom that does not count the horrific process of childbirth as the cost that it was as long as that baby is in her arms. Once the baby is in her arms, she then calls it worth it. Because now that child is with her. In other words, if you can find a value to your pain, if you can find purpose in your pain, it takes on a whole new color. So Paul said, I'm not saying that things are awesome because they're difficult. I'm saying that because they're difficult for a reason and the reason is so valuable, then I'm all right with it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says something super weird that has kind of tripped out the church for thousands of years. He says this, and in my flesh, meaning on my body or in my body, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. In other words, Jesus did something for the church, but it's not done yet. Now that's to a lot of you, if you're little Bible scholars, right? And, and, and students of the word that's challenging to your spirit. Why? Because it sounds like he's saying Christ didn't complete something that's messed up because when Jesus, some of his last words, right? The last three words, it is finished. So whatever it means, it cannot mean that Christ's atonement or substitutionary sacrifice was lacking. That it cannot mean. That is very clear in Scripture. So what is lacking? What is not complete? What is not filled up? What do we still do as Christ's body 
that finishes a work that he began. That's actually where we need to dive into it. But before we answer that question, and I'll give you four reasons why Paul had this viewpoint, I want to share with you a little bit about what Paul's life was like. Tradition says, and, and it's, it's my loose estimation, because once again, all these things are a little spotty. I believe that Paul was saved in his early 30s. It is said in tradition that he was beheaded outside of Rome in Ostensia, Italy, at the age of 62. Therefore, we basically have him in a ministry for 30 years. In 30 years, 14 of those, he kind of went off and did something and then came back and his ministry started heating up. He had an awful lot of persecution in a very small amount of time. How do we know that? I want you to just listen to these scriptures. You don't need to turn there. You can jot down the, the verse and look at it later, but it'll be too hard for you to jump back and forth. Let me read these to you. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three. He said, speaking of himself, I have been in far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and in exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches does paul know what suffering is yes he does galatians six seventeen. for now on let no one cause me trouble paul said for i bear on my body the marks of jesus he said you want to see my scars i'll show you all he has to do is take off his shirt and his whole back is littered with welts and scarring. Second Corinthians 1 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What a beautiful attitude, but he's not done. Second Timothy two, eight, it says this, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Still not done. Acts 20, 22. Towards the end of his life, he said this. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the glory of the grace of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take care, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And we could go on and on and on. Ph.D. in persecution. I ask you, what persecution are you suffering in your life right now for the cause of Christ? I, although it is complicated, persecution comes in many forms. Some of us call persecution merely the effects of our poor personality. <laughs> you are not being persecuted because you're a Christian. You are persecuted because you're a jerk. 
if we are to estimate and find out what persecution are we suffering because of the cause of Christ, I just need to tell you, if you put me up against the apostle Paul, it's embarrassing. My persecution is like targets closed. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I live in a very peaceful place at a very peaceful time and I'm very insulated. My, you know, oh, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I suffer hardship. I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you. But I mean, there's things that I've had to walk into as a pastor. I will not shy away from controversy. I will not shy away from proclaiming the full word of God. And that has gotten me into all kinds of difficulty and trouble. I've had many losses and hurts and pains, but it is nothing compared to the apostle Paul. The gentlemen that came up here on stage earlier that were from Russia. I need you to understand that the world is not safe like it is right here in Placer County. We keep saying, oh, that persecution stuff, that was in the ancient world. No, it's not. We can simply go to right here in Roseville and there is a pastor, an Asian pastor by the name of Wally. Wally has the testimony of being tortured and imprisoned for the cause of Christ. If you want to talk about persecution, it's happening all across the globe right here, right now. The fact that we are not walking through it does not mean it doesn't exist. So what suffering are you going through for the cause of Christ? Because in Paul's mind, he considers that an honor. Do you have any honor? Let me share why he has this. I'm going to give you at least four reasons why I think he had such a positive view of suffering for the kingdom of God. Some of which you would agree with, some of which you'd go, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. All right, I'm just telling you Paul's opinion. I think, first of all, there was an honor for Paul of doing what his hero did. I think that if you've ever grown up and had a hero, the idea was you wanted to do everything they did. If Michael Jordan stuck his tongue out while he dribbled the ball and went for a shot, you wanted to do the same thing. If, you know, if, you, if it was golf, if it was business, if it was relationally, whatever it was, if it was intelligence, if it was technology, you all had these heroes and they would do certain things and you would get, read books about them and you'd want to do what they did. Oh, it's a 10 minute manager. Oh, it's how to win friends and influence people. Oh, and you, you'd go through these books and try to do what they did. What Jesus did sometimes was suffer. And I think that there was a certain degree where Paul said, I have a picture of Jesus on my wall, a poster. And when he visited me, I had him sign it. And I want to be just like him. Paul and I share that passion. There's a couple passions that he and I share. A lot of our personalities are very, very different. But I share that same passion. Jesus is my hero. I want to do everything Jesus does. I want, to, I want to be just like him. When you look at my eyes, I want you to see the eyes of Jesus. When you see my actions, I want you to see the actions of Jesus. He's who I'm chasing after. And I wonder whether or not when Paul went through persecutions, he was going, man, Jesus walked through this stuff. And I think there was an honor there. I think secondly, and this is the one you may disagree with depending on your eschatology, but there was a view that Paul had and the early church had, whether it's accurate or not, I do not know. All I know, it was very thick at the time. The view was there was a certain level of persecution the church would have before Jesus Christ said, enough is enough and come screaming down with justice. Their view was it was kind of like one of those, you know, those old fundraising thermometers where it would kind of go up, right? So it was like with the blood of the saints, it would rise up and you go, where did they get this idea? Well, actually, it's kind of all over the Bible. Here's why. Did you know that in the book of Revelation, it describes that our prayers are put into a golden bowl? Did you hear that? Did you know that? It talks about, and it's, and it's symbolic and metaphoric. It's saying that all the prayers of the saints go into a golden bowl. What I think is fascinating about that is if you look at the judgment that happens, the judgment is poured out from what? Bulls. It's fascinating that the prayers and the hurt and the pain and the martyrdom and the sorrow is all building up. And at some point, God pours all that back out on the enemies of the cross. In other words, they view that the more that there was suffering, the quicker Jesus would come. 
And Paul's like, if I can move that needle at all, I'm in. I think a third reason that Paul took joy in persecution sufferings is if he could protect his loved ones. It's kind of like, hey, you guys look over here, look over here. Don't look at the little guys. Don't look at those people over there. You come look at me. You want to grab a big dog? Go ahead, put me in chains, right? You grab me. You don't need to go after that family. You don't need to go after those kids. You don't need to go after that widow. You come after me. I'm the one you want. I'm the one on the wanted poster. So come over here and attack me. That pastoral heart is the other passion I share with Paul. It's the reason why I wrote my first book. What was my first book? It was about panic disorder and the fact that I take medication every day. I was sick and tired of growing up in a world where everyone would suffer in silence. They'd suffer in secrecy and they had so much shame attached to it. And everyone in the church would go, well, you're a bad Christian or you don't believe enough or you don't have enough faith or God could have healed you and you're taking the easy way out. I was so tired of hearing that of people coming under the cover of night and talking to me. I said, I'll write a book. You have a problem with it. You come after me. Do not attack the little ones. Amen. You do not shame the mom who's at home suffering like crazy, constantly questioning herself. You don't go after her. You come after me. You think you got a biblical reason? I will blow you out of the water. Why? Because it's just not right. So my goal was to jump in front of the bus if it would protect other people from getting hit. You don't understand what I'm saying. That is the heart of what pastors deal with. Paul's doing the same thing. If I can protect any of my loved ones, let's do that. The fourth reason, and this is one that the scholars did not mention, it's merely my opinion. So I want you to take it with a grain of salt. And that is, I think a lot of it was a personal honor for Paul. Do you remember what he did before he got saved? He hurt a lot of people. Remember, his goal was to persecute and harm Christians. I think after you cause all that harm and you have to walk into churches and look and go, ooh, you used to have a wife. Right. So I put her in jail. She died there. I'm sorry about that. You understand when you're walking around and you have that history, I wonder whether or not every time he was persecuted, it was that certain thing of going, you know what? I need to take one with the team. Let's go. I have caused so much hurt. Bring it. I think that's just human. Let's pick it up in verse 25. He said this church that Jesus did all this suffering for and the afflictions, you know, it said, I'm filling up the afflictions. What does that mean? It means that he believed that Jesus got it started and the enemy came at him with full force. But then Jesus rose from the grave and is now safe. So all the rest of the afflictions and the attack has to hit his body. And so now what Jesus began, we are carrying out as his body. That's what is being filled up in the afflictions. It's not that Jesus didn't complete something. It's that the enemy has more wrath to pour out and it's hitting us. Verse 25, this church of which Jesus died for, of which Paul said, I became a minister according to the stewardship, the call of responsibility from God that was given to me for you Gentiles. To make the word of God fully known. What's his ministry? Make the word of God fully known. That is the third of things I share with Paul. This is my focus. It is the purpose of Bridgeway. It is what I'm most passionate about. We study the word every time we come together. Why? I want to make the word of God fully known. But if I merely make you an addict to the Bible, we've failed. The point is not the Bible. The point is who's in the Bible. The point is what the words refer to. The point is the word of God is not black and white lettering. It is the logos. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the word of God. Therefore, my goal every week, every access that I have to you 
is to make you love Jesus more. I want you to be more enthralled with him, more in awe of him. I want him to rise as a higher hero. I want you to be able to know him. I want you to know what he does. I want you to know what he thinks. I want you to know how he feels so that you will love him even more than I do. That is the point. Fully known that the word of God would be fully known. And he said, and I got to tell you, I was given this great mystery that I could deliver to you. When Jesus came, this changed everything. The mystery hidden for ages, verse 26, and generations it was hidden, but it's now been revealed to the saints. You heard last week with Pastor Parnell, we're all saints. That's our title. It's who we are. That's not a select few. That's all of us. It has now been given to his saints. Why? Because God shares stuff with his kids that he doesn't share with the world. What did he say? To them, to God's people, God chose to make known, verse 27, how great among the non-Jews are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Up until the ministry of Jesus, the apostles and Paul, The only way to God was to go join the Jewish camp. But when Jesus Christ died, the curtain was torn in two. And the Holy Spirit went worldwide. That's the mystery. That God wanted the salvation of Jews and non-Jews. It's the whole reason why we have churches today. And not simply what Jewish worship services. Because what what the mystery was is that God loves all of his creation and he grafted non-Jews into the Jewish family. And that we received all the same inheritance, all the same blessings, all the same glory, all the same future as they did. He said, that is why I'm here. He said, and this Jesus Christ, him we proclaim. All of us, we proclaim It means to say it out loud. Do you understand that that there are two equal and opposite errors we can fall into when we're talking about proclaiming Jesus? One is to shove it down people's throats and be irritating. That's That's not right. On the opposite extreme, just as equally damaging is remaining silent and saying nothing about your king. But in between there, there's a lot of leeway for your personality. Some of you are more quiet and you just have to live out loud. There are some of you that are loud and mouthy. You got to share it with all wisdom because our job is to make him known. Our job in missions is to proclaim worship throughout the whole world and get it instituted throughout the world. Why? So that God is glorified in the cultural diversity and language of every nation on earth. The job is not to try to make them all like America. The job is to let the richness that God baked within their culture rise up in glory. That's what we do in missions. And so right here he said, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, we tell everyone, we are warning everyone. Why is there a warning? Because you also in love have to tell the truth. There's certain warnings. You got to go, listen, I'm not here to judge your spirit. I'm not here to judge your soul, but I'm judging your actions. And I'm watching if you keep doing this, that sign right there says doom. And I just got to let you know, that's not going to go well for you. If you keep rolling that way, you're going to lose yourself. That's all I'm telling you. We got to warn everyone. We got to teach everyone with all wisdom that the idea, everyone's a teacher. You may not have the gifting. You may not have the office, but everyone is a teacher. Why? It just means help them understand. Do you understand that maybe you take for granted going to this church that this is an open book? That you have to understand that a lot of the world does not consider this an open book. Sometimes they don't consider it open because they think if I open it, it's too complicated for me. I couldn't read it on my own. Your job as a believer is to say that's not true. It is for you. It was written to you. It's a love letter to you. You have to help them know that. In other places in the world, it's closed because the church says it's closed. I was just asking the Russian pastors. I said, 
what is your most great challenge to get your ministry across to people? And they said, honestly, for us, the Orthodox Church refers to us as a sect of Christianity. And not only do they tell people not to hang out with us, but they encourage people not to read the Word of God. They said, don't read the Bible, just read our materials. Well, once again, if you're only grown up in an environment where you can't open the Word of God, how are you supposed to know His thoughts towards you? He said, so what we do is we proclaim Him, we warn everyone, and we teach everyone how to engage with God on their own. This is our job. That we may what? What's the goal? That we may present like a gift everyone under our care and influence mature in Christ. Listen to me carefully. There is no Christianity that you're going to find in Scripture that says you can get saved, born again, converted, get your heaven ticket, and then just chill. That's actually not in the Bible. It is all one continuous flow. You get born again and you grow up like a baby. If a baby never grew, something's wrong. So what's the goal? Everyone becoming mature in Christ. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say sinless. I didn't say any of that. What is mature in Jesus Christ like? I want you to be an adult. I want you to know how to do things on your own. I want you to be able to read and study for your own. I want you to be able to guide and lead other people. I want you to be able to stand so that your drama is not what's rocking your world all the time. You understand what I mean? This is maturity. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he said, and for this, this purpose, this vision, this mission, I toil, I work hard, I labor, struggling and wrestling with all of God's energy and active power that he powerfully, like dynamite, works within me. What is he saying? Ministry is really hard. But that's why the Holy Spirit's here. And the only reason we have breakthrough in our ministries is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only reason we can keep going is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only reason why we have encouragement is the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we are not locked and loaded with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what do we expect to accomplish? Nothing. Is ministry hard? Yeah, but you were built for this. You were built to stand in there. You were built to do the incredible. You were built to do the impossible. You say, Lance, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the fact that just living as a believer is hard. Marriage is hard to do it a godly way. Marriage is difficult. Trying to learn how to have it healthy and maintained and vibrant and communicative and thriving and mutually serving. That stuff is hard. If you're going to do it Jesus' way, it's super hard. But you were built to do it. And wherever you fall short, the Holy Spirit comes in and can help you even more. Raising children in a godless world is hard. It's like herding cats. They're all running different directions. Nobody's doing what you're asking them to do. You're pouring your guts out and it seems like it's falling on deaf ears. You know how many parents throughout the years have come to me and said, man, I'm the only one struggling with my teenager. Are you kidding me? No, everybody is. Because it's hard to do it right. You can do it wrong. You can just abdicate and not parent at all. You can try to be a buddy and just make everybody like you, but that's not the way Jesus said to do it. Jesus said that parenting is challenging, it's sacrificial, and it doesn't feel like it's making any difference. Maybe some of you are single and you're trying to honor the Lord in purity and moving forward so that you would be presented rightly at the altar when you get married. If God so chooses to lead that way, I need you to know we get it. It's hard it's hard to live right it's hard to be the one in your friend group that doesn't do what everybody else does i understand it's hard in business when you know if you did a couple other short changes and a couple shortcuts then you could make the bills but that's not who we are we were built to do difficult things 
The Holy Spirit says it. And it may be for you that today the whole point of this message is you thought you were struggling with a 25-piece puzzle. And you thought, man, my preschooler should be able to know how to do this. Why am I wrestling so hard? And I say, hey, hon, you read the box wrong. It's 2,500 pieces. I was like, oh, no wonder. No wonder. I thought it was taking too long. Because it's hard for everybody. But that's what you were built to do. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Let's close out. Some of us just need some encouragement today. Some of us just need to pray with the prayer team and just say, my engine's low. My gas tank's low. My energy's low. I just need a boost. That's what the prayer team's here for. They're just to pray blessing and power into your life and strength and join with you and maybe remind you, God built you for this. You can do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I pray, Lord, you would pour out your powerful Holy Spirit upon this prayer team, that this altar would be anointed as a place of breakthrough and encouragement and power, that God, that even right now, for even those that don't come to the front, Father, may I just pray a Father's blessing over this congregation, over everyone that's watching online, over everyone that's listening to my voice. I just pray, God, that your favor would wash over them like a flood. That, Lord, that in this day and age when things have become challenging in very unusual ways, Lord, we are not physically persecuted as much as emotionally and mentally persecuted. I pray right now that you would strengthen us, that you'd give us a new mindset, that you would put us in a different place, that you would re-rack our hearts, and we would be on fire for you. That, God, we would not only not shrink back, but every resistance would make us press forward. May you be glorified in your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. The altar is open.